Today, I get a great opportunity to introduce to you um, my pastor. You know, every pastor needs a pastor. We should never do ministry alone and we're better together. And I could give you some of the kind of, you know, the bio, the wins. He planted five churches, one right out of college the weekend right after 9-11 in Detroit. And, and birth in other people's dreams and to be, you know, constantly as a catalyst, prolific writing. When I'm sitting at a car lot, I'm reading this blog and I'm being inspired. My wife and I go to a church planner school in 2005 and we sit front row and we listen to this man speak about David and his team in a cave. And that was his launch team and to do something courageous and heroic to reach a city. And hearts beating through our chest, right? But I'm telling you, what has inspired me the most about Pastor Brad Leach, who's here from Philly, city of brotherly love, is not what he does on the stage, it's who he is behind the scenes. And one of the best stories that I think um, that he lives is, I heard a great leader say once that he would rather his fruit be on the trees of others than the tree of his own, because that's legacy. Pastor Brad called me up, and I love that he's bold. He says, you've been on my heart. I've been praying. I would love for you to come out to Philly and help pastor the church with me. I said, what? <laughs> what do I do? Um, he's a hero. Well, we'll consider the offer. And as we go out there, we're praying and we're dreaming. He's casting vision of the city. We go out to a restaurant. And through the course of that meal, Pastor Brad and Leah and Crystal and myself were there and eating pasta. It's amazing. Before he had to go gluten-free. And... Sorry, Brad. Um, it was a good time. And he looked across the table and looked at me in the eyes and said, do you have a church in your heart? Are you called to plant a church? And that's the only thing I hadn't told anybody. I feel like God called us to plant a church all the way back in probably 05, but 2009 where it came alive in Atlanta, seeing Blueprint Church. And that spoke to me that he wasn't just there for his dreams. He was there to empower what God put in me. That fast forwarded what we now all get to share in, city life being real. City life exists because Pastor Brad across the table looked at me and said, hey, do you have a church in your heart? That speaks to the type of leader that's not just trying to build his own kingdom, right? He's trying to build Jesus's kingdom. And he loved the city. He flew out here, heard the vision, heard the story, and then started empowering it on a supernatural timeline. We did all guys, we're just like, let's go. God birthed City Lance in two and a half years ago from Pastor Brad and I sitting at a table. Will you give a warm City Life welcome to Pastor Brad Leach? Yeah. Come on. Let's give it up for Jesus, everybody. He deserves the praise. He gives nobody's like me, like us, opportunities to do great things. And I'm so grateful, and I'm so grateful to be here with you, and to be in Lansing, and to be with one of my best friends in the world, Pastor Jerome and his amazing wife. Don't you appreciate Crystal? Come on. Is she in here? No, okay. She's, she's, she's doing her thing in Kid City. And uh, my wife, Leah, and I love this couple so much. And I just wanted to make you aware of something that uh, you don't always get a glimpse into. You know, from your perspective, you see Pastor Jerome and his family on Sundays doing their thing. And he's so gifted by God to preach and to teach and to inspire others. 
But what you don't see is what happens when he goes home on Sunday afternoon and the fact that he's back here every once a month on Sunday nights investing into leaders. And then what's going on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You don't just leave a church service and leave the church. The church is in him and it stays with him. And that's a wonderful privilege to carry that burden and to carry that dream. And if you could, this is, the, this is what I get a glimpse into when I get to meet with him on the phone and when we get the opportunity to get together. If you could hook up an HDMI cord to his brain or to his heart. And if we could somehow, this is a scary thought, but if we could somehow get a live feed onto the screen in real time on Sunday, you know, or on Tuesday afternoon, for you to see what's going on in his mind and what's going on in his heart, what, what you would see is a constant wrestling for you. And I want you to know that about, his, about your pastor, is that he loves you with all of his heart. And all week long, he's praying for you. He's bringing your needs to Jesus. He's seeking God. What, to, what does the church need to hear? And, and I get that perspective, and I want you to know that, that he's accountable, that he's teachable, and you really are blessed to uh, be under the leadership of an amazing, amazing pastor. That's it. <laughs> and so uh, we just got a small gift for you, bro, from uh, your City Life Philly family, and we want you guys to know that in Philly, we're behind you, and we are for you. Come on, one more time. Yeah. What's up? I'm so excited to be here because I get to see with my own eyes that everything he's telling me on the phone is like is, is actually happening. You guys aren't that old, just a couple years old. And so sometimes I look at the financial reports and I'm like, is this real? Like, is this really where, where this church is? And I see the attendance reports and I'm like, really? like I don't know. Like I got to go and make sure that you know, it's not Photoshop, just Photoshopping the Instagram pictures in there. And uh, to be here and to hear your stories, I hope you know you're, you're a part of something really special. Most church plants don't look like this after a couple years. It's just not the way that it, that it happens. God's favor and God's blessing is on you as a church. And so you need, to get in, you need to get in the game. If you're not on the dream team, you're missing out on a tidal wave of grace that God is pouring over Lansing. Well, uh, today I wanted to show you a picture. This is a picture of a guy named Daryl McRae, better known to the world by his tagging name, Cornbread. Daryl McRae was the uh, first modern graffiti artist, and he grew up in North Philly in the 50s and the 60s. And so on behalf of Philadelphia, you're welcome, world. You're welcome, Lansing, Michigan. We gifted graffiti to the world so don't say we didn't ever do anything uh, for you, but uh, from Philly with love. Homa, by the way, the 2018 Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles. You can boo me and I feel like I'm at home. Because nobody boos like a South Philadelphia sports fan. So we don't amen in our church. We actually boo. That's when I know <laughs> that we're really getting somewhere. Somebody had to humble Bill Belichick. And I'm actually a Tom Brady fan. Go blue. I love Michigan. <laughs> oh. 
Oh, I feel so good. I feel so warm inside. I feel so warm inside right now. These are my people. But uh, Cornbread, in the late 60s, he and his buddies started tagging uh, buildings all over North Philly. And when he was in junior high, he had a crush on a girl named Cynthia Custis. And so he was going all over the city, tagging on buildings. Cornbread loves Cynthia. And he eventually won her heart through graffiti art. So there you go, guys. Idea for you, if you're stuck. But in 1971, there was a gang shooting, and there was a, there was a kid who was killed in this gang shooting. And the newspapers mistakenly reported that, it, that Cornbread was the one who was shot and killed. And so to clear his name, he started going all over the city tagging on buildings. Cornbread lives. Cornbread lives. He even, he even spray painted it onto an elephant at the Philadelphia Zoo, everybody. Cornbread lives. So he had this message, you know, to get out there. And I'm not here today to encourage you to go deface buildings and property this week. But how many of you know we have a message? It's not that cornbread lives. It's that Jesus lives. And we're not spray painting around Lansing, cornbread loves Cynthia, but Jesus loves Lansing is the message that we have in our hearts. And my dream for you today is that you would leave uh, Southside Community Center fired up to go tag some buildings this week and tag some offices this week and tag some neighborhoods this week with the hope of Jesus Christ that you can live out of faith no matter what your personality is, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, no matter what your educational background might be or what kind of family you come from, you can live out of faith that leaves a mark that makes a mark, that has influence, that has impact. And so I want to talk about uh, how we can do that. And Jesus gives us a really beautiful blueprint. In his most famous sermon, it's the longest sermon from Jesus that we have recorded in Matthew 5 and 6. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read a few verses right from the middle of this beautiful sermon, starting in Matthew 5, verse 13. You, City Life Lansing are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, how visible is your faith. And here's the result. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Those are our marching orders. And I want to just lift from this beautiful uh, blueprint three principles that can help every single one of us live out a faith that makes a mark. And so number one, jot down these two words. Be present. Be present. Everything I'm going to share with you today is so simple. Be present. Be there. Show up. Be present. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And that had a lot of implications for his first century listeners. On one hand, it meant that their lives should be flavorful. And salt brings the seasoning. 
into food and helps it taste better. And so for us, I love the fact that no matter what's going on in our lives, that even when our lives are difficult, the joy that we experience in Jesus is internal, not external. And we can experience joy in every circumstance in life. And so there's an, there, there's a, there's an element to this that means that you can be, no matter what's going on, the flavor in your family and the seasoning on your street, and you can help even bad things that are happening taste a little bit better, taste good. But I think what would stand out for Jesus' first century audience is what was even more important for salt in that day, and that was that salt was a preservative because there, was, there were no deep freezers, there was no refrigeration in the first century. And so how would you keep meat fresh? How would you keep it from spoiling, from rotting? Salt would work its way into the meat and it would preserve it. It would keep it fresh. And in that way, Jesus' vision for us as his church is not that we would be separated from the city. It's not that we would be isolated in a fortress somewhere. But his dream for his people is that we would work our way down into the parts of the city that are most prone to rot, that are most prone to decay, that are most prone to spoil. And you need to know that there's always a relationship between the presence of God's people and the preservation of a place. And that's why God said to Abraham, if there's just 10, if there's just five, the city can be saved because there's something to Jesus' people being there. And that's why we start churches, and that's why Jerome and Crystal and their team wanted to be in the toughest neighborhoods of Lansing, and that's why there's a dream for a truck that'll drive into parks and, uh, and, and, and playgrounds, you know, during the week and on Saturdays is so that we can just show up and be there, because the reality is, yes, there are needs in the city, and you know this, that in Lansing, problems are here, and loneliness is here, and dysfunction is here, and drugs are here, and addiction is here, and violence is here, and injustice is here. But guess what else is here? Jesus is here. And thousands of people who love him like crazy, who are filled with his spirit, are here. You are here. We are here. The bride of Jesus is here. City Life Lansing is here. And as long as that is true, it means there is no such thing as a ghetto, because as soon as the people of Jesus show up, that ground is turned into holy ground. And so God isn't looking for people who have amazing ability, just people who have availability. Who will say, I'll volunteer at my kid's school. I'll show up at the neighborhood civic association meeting so that when everybody else is angry and shouting out, I can Show them that there's a better way to be there and a better way to solve problems. That's what we're talking about, being present. There are two amazing, back in the 70s, two amazing uh, generals in the body of Christ. A guy named Lauren Cunningham who started a ministry called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And another guy named Dr. Bill Bright who started a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ that really impacted the whole world over the course of several decades. And these two guys were really close friends. And there was... One particular occasion, they were in the same city for an event, and so they decided, let's get together for lunch. But an amazing thing happened. The night before they were supposed to have lunch, God gave each of them a vision, and they 
took out uh, a journal, a note paper, a piece of note paper, and they they wrote down what, what what God was showing them. And when they got together the next day for lunch, Lauren Cunningham said, "Hey, I want to show you something." And Bill Bright said, "That's amazing. I want to show you something." And they exchanged notes, and they had written down. Can you believe it? The exact same thing. And they felt like God gave them a strategy, a vision for how cities can be changed, how a country, how the world could be changed. And they identified what they called at the time seven mountains of influence, seven streams, really, that uh, seven sectors that exist in every city that are going to determine ultimately the health of the city. And, and so they said the church is one of those, and uh, we understand that. We're a part of that today. And then they said government is one of those mountains, one of those influences in a city. And so politics and policies and legal processes and civic associations and all of that is a part of it. And then they said arts and entertainment is an important system in the city, that beauty and pleasure and the movies we watch and the music we listen to and the entertainment industry, all of that fashion and sports is having an influence on how people live and how people think. And then they said that education is going to be a big part of it. Schools, and we start with preschool and then with little kids and high schools and colleges and continuing adult education and all of that is shaping how people think it's a big part of how a city operates. And then they said that uh, business is going to be a part of it, the shaping of economies and the distribution of goods and services and supply and demand is a part of what makes a city uh, either healthy or dysfunctional. And then they said that uh, there's going to be media, the transmission of information to the masses. And so for a long time, you know, newspaper and print and today through the internet, it's shaping how millions and millions of people all over the world are thinking about the world. And then family is probably when you look back at recorded history, the most important element, and they said family is a big part of it, moms and dads and kids and grandparents, that if you look back over 5,000 years of recorded history, you will find in every society, in every civilization, that when families were flourishing, when families were operating according to biblical values, the society flourished decay, that, uh, that, that when they began to stray from Jesus' blueprint for the family, that uh, societies would begin to decay and societies would begin to rot and despoil. And so Dr. Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham wrote down these seven mountains, and here was their strategy that if we are going to change a city, we have to get the people of God into every stream of the city. And what we need in the church are spirit filled lawyers who are in a courtroom, and that's the call of God for some of you this week as a defense attorney, as a district attorney, as a paralegal, making an argument, and that's where you're called to be this week. And we need the people of God to be standing in classrooms as teachers, teaching to kids, not only caring about their mental health and development, but then closing the door and praying for them by name and influencing them. We need that, and we need spirit-filled moms and single moms and dads and stepdads who are there. Thanks, Torian. Give it up for Torian, everybody. Love this guy. 
And we need them there, just showing what, what the family can look like when it's done God's way. We need, we need that. And we need business people who are starting businesses and, and scaling businesses and sitting in chamber of commerce meetings, showing the business community that you can build a business that, 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 that embodies the values of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus. And, and that was their vision that, come on, the calling of the church is not to get everybody in the city out of the city and into the church. The calling of the church is to get everybody in the church out of the church and into the city. Be present. And so how could you be present this week? Be a little more present. Volunteering at your kids' schools, or for some of you, it might be as simple as buying some furniture for the front porch of your house. And the weather's getting nicer, and this summer, just sitting out there and meeting your neighbors as they're walking by with their dogs, just, just, just being there. You know, my five-year-old son, Caleb, he started playing t-ball this spring. And so we thought, okay, he wants to play t-ball, so I'll be there. I'll show up. I'll be a part of, I'll be a part of t-ball with him, and uh, I'll help coach his t-ball, his t-ball team. And I learned he, uh, he was really, he loves everything about t-ball except actually playing t-ball. Loves the shirt and the uniform and everything and the new shoes, but actually playing t-ball, he's not so much interested in that part of it. But I thought, you know, I, I've never been a t-ball coach before. I'm not sure I know what to do. And fortunately, I found out once we started, I, it didn't matter. I didn't need to know what to do because my job basically is to keep them from climbing up the fence in the dugout and, and uh, to go out in the outfield during the innings that never end when we can't get a single batter out because the first baseman can't catch it and the pitcher can't throw it and pick them up when they're, you know, throwing dirt and eating grass. That's what I do. But at the last game, I was the third base coach. And so I was there, and I was just coaching the, the kids, you know, who are distracted on second base to run to third base and then telling them to go home. And the third baseman from the Royals, I can still, I, I can still see him. He's been, he's been showing up in my dreams. He started trash-talking me. This five-year-old kid, he was sitting there waiting for the ball to get hit off the tee. And he said, hey, you. I said, me? He said, yeah. He said, you're going to lose. And we're going to win. And then he said, you're always going to lose. And we're always going to win. And he was starting to get into my head a little bit. I got to be honest with you. And so the kids on our team, the White Sox, our, our, the first kid, he came over to third base, and he was standing there. And this, and this, third, this, this third baseman, he looked over to me and said, hey, how old are you? He's a five-year-old kid. And the kid said, I'm, he's, kid said, five. He said, you don't look like you're five. You're short. And so I stood there, and this kid, you know, he started to sink down a little bit. And I said, hey, buddy, look at me. You look like you're 10 to me. And you're not sure what you are is speedy. And so I want you right now to run like a cheetah to home plate. And he picked his head up a little bit, and he set off sprinting to home plate, and he scored a run, and we cheered. And that's what I'm there for, right, to be a spirit-filled third-base coach, to lift those kids' head up a little bit, to be the, 
to be the encouragement of Jesus to them in, in that moment, for Leah to sit in the stands with other moms and to get to know them and for us to hold hands as we leave and we're walking home. And come on, that's what it's about. If families are going to be there, your family ought to be there just to show them what it looks like to be married in Jesus' name. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're the salt of the earth. And you know what we become if we stop being the salt? Jesus said, we just read it a minute ago, good for nothing. The salt should be just thrown out and trampled on. The literal translation is worthless, pointless. In other words, let's just have our church services in an airplane. Flying over some city anymore, somewhere, because a church that's in a community that isn't visible to the community, that isn't felt by the community, it's a pointless church, it's a worthless church, it's a good-for-nothing church. You're here because you don't want to be that kind of a church. You want to be a part of a church that's there, that's present. Come on. That's what we're talking about. Be present. And then secondly, be bright. Be bright. Here's what he says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I don't know if you've ever experienced total darkness. Uh, We never really experienced total darkness in Philly. The street lights are on all the time, coming through the blinds. And, you know, we get those crucial Facebook notifications at 2 a.m. that light up our phones and glow in the dark. And we're never really in total darkness, but I've been in parts of the world where there is no electricity. And if you've ever been in an environment like that where you can't even see your hand in front of your face, that's disorienting, isn't it? If you're in total darkness, after a while, you lose touch with reality. You'll start to think that up is down. You'll start to think that down is up. You forget where you're from. You forget what's going on. And uh, it'll start playing tricks with your mind. And if you've ever been in total darkness, you know not only how disorienting that can be, you know how powerful it can be when one single light turns on. If you're in total darkness and all of a sudden one single candle gets lit or one single fire gets started, One single light changes everything when you're in total darkness. All of a sudden, you start to see things clearly again. You begin to connect the dots. Perspective starts to come. You come back into reality. And I think for a lot of us, you know, we we know what it's like to live in total darkness. We we rarely know that we're living in darkness when we're in it. But slowly over time, we start to lose touch with reality and we get really disoriented. We get really confused. We get confused about how relationships work. We get confused about how sex works. We get confused about how money works. We're doing everything the world says to do to be happy, but we're not happy. And we forget which way is up. We forget which way is down. We forget what's right. We forget what's, what's wrong. We get turned around. And, and, and you know what that's like. We've all been there. And then what happened for many of you is that you met somebody right? Not somebody who waved a Bible around and called themselves a Christian, but somebody who walked the walk, somebody who was bold and gentle and full of conviction and actually looked like Jesus and spoke a little bit like Jesus with that spirit, with encouragement and grace. And you met somebody and all of a sudden it was like the lights came on in your life. And you started to recognize 
where am I going and what am I doing and why am I spending my money like this and why am I treating people this way? And contrast began to come into your life as you saw there's a better way to live. There's another way to live. And that's what Jesus is getting at. If you zoom out from verse 14 we just read and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's teaching revolutionary ideas, you know. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you, don't even lust after a woman in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. I tell you, don't even be angry with somebody in your heart. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I tell you, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, give them the left cheek also. He's telling them things that don't make sense if you're living in total darkness. Things that the world would never tell you to do. Things that are countercultural. Things that are revolutionary. Things that are paradoxical. But when you begin to walk out the teachings of Jesus in your everyday life, people around you will be like, whoa. And all of a sudden, you come into the business community, you come into that mountain, you come into that stream, and dishonesty in the office is revealed. Why? Because you gave a sermon on dishonesty and ethics in business? No, because you showed up and the lights came on and contrast was there for the first time. And mom, you show up at the park with the other moms and gossip that never sounded like gossip to them before all of a sudden sounds like gossip because contrast walked into the park. And you get invited to the party and now promiscuity looks like promiscuity at the party that never looked like promiscuity before because you showed up and the lights got turned on. And you move into the neighborhood and racism that never really seemed like racism to people before all of a sudden starts to feel wrong. It starts to feel weird it starts to it starts to look like racism because the lights came on and you brought the contrast into into the room that's what Jesus is saying you're the light of the world so your life is bright and so all you need to do you show up you're there you forgive people you live out the the countercultural teachings of Jesus and people begin to see Reality, they begin to see things clearly. Is there anything different about your life? Is your faith dynamic? Are you being changed little by little, day after day, by the Spirit of God inside of you? That's what we're talking about. You with me, everybody? Be present, be bright. And then, number three, I'll leave you with this one be practical. And I'm going to try to blow up right now the myth that, you know, if you didn't go to seminary or if you don't have, you know, an elaborate education, if you can't answer everybody's theological questions that you can't, you can't make your mark. I want you to see how simple this actually is and how prepared you actually are. Some of you are thinking, well, someday I'm going to impact people around me. And you are ready literally today to do it. And you don't even know it. And so I'm going to prove it to you. Is that okay? As we close. So here's what he, here's what he says. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So what kind of light are we? We're lamps. And that's important because a lamp doesn't produce light. A lamp just holds light, harnesses light. You and I are not the sun. We're not the stars. Stars are self-sustaining lights. They produce light. They are light. That's Jesus. Jesus is the star of the show. Jesus is the sun in the center of the universe. We just hold him and shine him for others to see. But look at what he says. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Look at me for a minute. I think if we could somehow take a stethoscope 
and attach it to the heart of God, do you know what we would hear? Others. 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 And he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your, what? Good works, helping people, serving people. And look at the result of it. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you see the connection? Where's God? In heaven. Your neighbors can't see God. Guess who they see? You. And here's the strategy. This is so simple. I feel embarrassed that I traveled all the way from Philadelphia even to tell you this because it's so simple. Let your good works be so surprising, be so consistent, be so in the face of the people you love that after a while they say, you're not this good. Where's this coming from? So here's what your good works are. They are samples of God's generous heart. Everybody say sample. If I'm going to go grocery shopping with my wife and my four kids, to be honest with you, she's not here so I can tell you this, I try to avoid that activity as much as possible. But if I get roped into it, I want to go to Sam's Club because of one reason, everybody. Samples. And so we walk into Sam's Club, you know, and I'll, I'll just look right away for the sample engineers. That's what I call them. They deserve the most honorable position title, I believe, that, that we could think of. And so I'll see one, you know, down kind of by aisle six. And so I'll say, hey, babe, why don't you go ahead with the kids for a minute? I feel the Holy Spirit leading me over to aisle six. I just feel like maybe they need a pastor over there. Could kind of launch a small group of samplers there for city life. And so I get over to aisle six, and, and then all of a sudden it happens. They, they give you the sausage and the pita chip with the exotic salsa. And she starts to tell you, the sample engineer, about the love and the care and how the salsa came from Cape Cod and the pita chip all the way from Greece. And you start to eat it and your mouth is watering. And then, you know, they got you on the hook. And so she says, you know, if you like that, there's a lot more of it at the back of aisle six. So all of a sudden I'm texting Leah, babe, it's going to be another minute. I'm just going to, feel, I feel led further into aisle six. And so you get to the back of aisle six and then just loading it into the cart, right? I hope this, these pita chips are gluten-free and you're just putting them in. And, and as it's happening, you know, you realize like two days ago, I didn't even know that these pita chips existed. But now I need this salsa in my life. <laughs> and I'm taking it home. And I'm telling my friends about the pita chips at Sam's Club from Greece and the salsa from Cape Cod. And my life is being changed and that's what we're talking about, everybody. Jesus is too good to keep him in, hidden in the back of aisle six. Jesus is too good to keep, him, to keep him locked up in the four walls of a church building. 
So we need a Love the City truck. We probably need 20 of them. To be out in the parks on Saturday saying, hey, you know, try this. That's probably not a good analogy for being in the parks of Lansing. You know what I mean, though. I want you to taste and see that my God is good. People have the wrong idea of God. They have the wrong idea of the church. The church always wants something from you. No, 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 no. We want something for you. God wants something for you. God is for you. God is for Lansing. How will people ever know that? It's when we show up and we start giving them samples of God's generous heart. And how do we do that? It's when we make a meal for somebody. Some of you are gifted as mechanics. It's when you take your wrench over to somebody's house and you fix their car for them. It's when you live out the divine identity that you have as a Christian. Listen, you are not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. You are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast, but you are God's workmanship put together by God's very own hands and his fingerprints are on your soul and his fingerprints are all over your personality and his fingerprints are on your talents and if you will just take your talents and whatever it is that you do and whatever it is you're good at and do it for others in the name of Jesus you can make a mark and so can you and so can you and so can you and so can you and we can change this city and people will see you and your good works and your good works will create goodwill and that goodwill will become the platform through which you share the good news and lives will be changed that's it be present be bright be practical and you know I'm really passionate about this because this is the reason that I'm here my dad grew up in a really dysfunctional family of total darkness my dad was so disoriented as a kid, he never would have known what fatherhood looked like. He would have been confused about what a family is supposed to be. My grandfather was violent. He was paranoid schizophrenic. He was bisexual in and out of prison. And that left my grandmother in inner city New York to raise three little boys by herself as a single mom. And so my grandfather, when he started really getting sick, my, uh, my, there was a woman at the school where he used to teach named Irene that uh, loved Jesus. And Aunt Irene, as we came to call her, she just said, I'm just going to show up. And she started coming over to the house. She started coming over to my grandma's house. And she just would bring groceries. And she would say, do you need a break? And she would take my dad out and his brothers out. She would give my grandmother a break. And she would come over and she would clean the house. And at a time when my grandmother was so heavy and she was so exhausted and she was so, so discouraged, Irene, she would just show up and she would just do good. She would just help around the house. And my grandmother finally couldn't take it because she was a proud, proud New Yorker. And she was stubborn. And she finally said to Aunt Irene, Irene, you've been doing all of this for us. Is there anything we can do for you? And my Aunt Irene said, Zelda, I'm not even gonna tell you what it is because I know you're not gonna do it. And if you know my grandmother, you know that was the perfect strategy. <laughs> and so my grandmother said, no, 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 what is it? 
And so day after day, week after week, come on, Irene, you're doing all this for us. Like, there's got to be something I can do. I'm not even going to tell you, Zelda, because I know you're not going to do it. I'm not even going to tell you. I know you're not going to do it. So finally, she had her right where she wanted her. And she said, okay, come to church with me on Sunday. And at that point, my proud grandmother had no option other than to say, okay. And so she came to that small church, and she met Jesus, and the lights got turned on. And my dad came into a spiritual family. And I'm here today because Irene said, I'll come over. I'll bring you groceries. That's what we're talking about. You can do that. If you can do that, wave at me. Why don't you close your eyes just for a moment. I want to pray for you. First, I want to just give, before Pastor Jerome comes back, an invitation because you can't be the light of the world until you've been lit. And there has to be a moment when the lights come on. And for some of you, this is that moment. You came in here and you've been going in circles. You have been lost. You have been out of touch with reality. You have been, th- you have been thinking right was wrong and wrong was right and up was down and down was up and right now perspective and contrast is coming and you know that you're going the wrong way and if that's you this church was started to create moments like this when you could turn around follow Jesus and know him and the truth is he's the only one who's ever died for you and he died in your place and all of us have sin but it's covered through the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. And because he's alive, you can be alive again. Because he's alive, you can be forgiven and experience a resurrection today and in eternity. And so I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you know things aren't right between you and God, but you want to take a step and put your faith in Jesus, raise up your hand. Would you do that in this moment? on hands all over this room are going up thank you thank you thank you thank you so many of you who else say brad that's me raise your hand jesus is working all over this room could we just pray a prayer together if you raised your hand i want you to pray this like you've never prayed before maybe for you you never have prayed before but i want you to pray this to god because he's listening right now and all of us are going to join in with you because we're your family now let's pray this out loud say jesus I need you in my life. I'm a sinner. I've been walking in darkness, but I repent. Forgive me. I believe you died in my place, and I believe you rose from the grave. Now fill me with your spirit and help me to live for you. Amen. Amen. Come on, City Life, let's give it up. For Jesus right now, he's changing lives. He's saving the lost. He's restoring dreams. If you raised your hand and if you prayed that prayer, look at me, look at me, look at me. I want to challenge you to do one more thing. When you leave today, right outside that door, under those exit signs, there's a table that says connect. Would you go there? Would you take one more step and go to that table that says connect and meet the dream team members who are there? Look for that, we got you lanyard and and introduce yourself to them. Say, I prayed that prayer at the end so that they can pray with you and give you some resources and and some advice. And and so you can do that right after after the service. And I'm gonna hand it back over to 
Pastor Jerome, but I want you to know all the way from Philly, we're behind you. Come on, keep being there. Keep lighting up Lansing with the love of Jesus Christ. Pastor Brad, if you'd come up here, I'd love to pray for you. Um, Pastor Brad, I know his, his story more than um, we get to find out in an hour of speaking. And what I find is so interesting behind leaders of high capacity is not only does he get to hear about what's happening in my background, like, hey, let me tell you about what's going on. Can you help me? Let me send you a report. I got these questions. And, and he listens and he carves out time and he gives Martin. He's focused in it. But just being in the car, getting to hear more of what's going on in the background in his world, he's got so much stuff going on too, right? And we want what's happening in the background all of his life. We want Jesus to constantly be moving and leading and increasing his capacity and his influence because it's going to allow more people and more uh, church planters to be planted, people to be coached, and lives to be changed in Philly and the world, right? And so would you um, pray together as a family for Pastor Brad right now? Jesus, we thank you for Pastor Brad. We thank you for Leah, the children, and City Life Philly. God, that they would be courageous enough to look across the table and say, do you have a church in your heart? And God, you have been so faithful to them. I pray that you'll continue to multiply, expand, extend, and breathe into their soul. God, so deep that there will be a taproot connected from heaven to his heart. God, that you'll pour out fresh new water, new life, new freedom, new thoughts, new creativity, new influence, that you'll extend the reach of City Life Philly throughout the whole city of the six million people. That it really will be not just a place of booze, but a brotherly love. And the Eagles will win the Super Bowl again. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.